let's um let me pray for just a moment please lord it's always an awesome responsibility to to speak because lord we we realize how lacking we are and how little we know and how awesome your word is and your presence in our lives and lord we just we just tremble with the knowledge that we fall so far short and even opening our mouth but we ask you lord that uh, by your power by your presence and by your uh, bending love to accommodate us that you would open our hearts and minds to, to understand and to hear what you have to say this morning and we ask it in the name of jesus amen and i had a uh, i had a call week and a half two weeks ago from a uh, a friend that i've known since the third grade and um every so often we talk together and um he's just as lost as he can be and it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to talk to somebody that you love and you want so much to see them come to a knowledge of the truth and see them floundering and um, fighting against the truth because you want so much to see God change their life. But anyway, it causes you to, to pray more. It causes you to ask God's mercy more and it causes you to think differently when you read the word of God so anyway with that sort of in the back of my mind I was trying to figure out what I, I wanted to say or what I thought God might want me to say and it's always a struggle figuring how far you've missed it but um, anyway there's a line I want to read that's from an old hymn that there's one verse that that really grabbed me <clears throat> and this is what it says and this hymn was written a couple hundred years or so ago it says i stand before the throne dressed in beauty not my own when i see thee as thou art love thee with unsinning heart then lord shall i fully know not till then how much i owe and if you think about it you're not going to know how much you really owe to the grace and mercy of god until you stand before him in the splendor of his presence you know most things are, are so much more than we know righteousness is much more beautiful Sin is much more monstrous. Truth is sweeter and more godly. Lies more deceptive and character shattering. Love is more purifying and healing. And greed is more consuming and destroying. And it would be great if we understood that very well. I've been thinking a lot about dwelling places recently about where we have lived, where we live now, and where we will ultimately live. Psalms 84 verses one and two say, 
How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, thanks for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. You know, the temple was a place which God chose to reveal his presence to the people. But the devotion here in this psalm is, is not for the temple building itself, but it's to God who revealed himself there. Israel was many, many times tempted to forget God and to rely on the externals of the building for their devotion. How many times did they say, look at the temple, see how beautiful it is. So that's where their devotion was so often. But Jesus quoted Isaiah in Matthew 15, 8 and said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You can tell a whole lot about a person based on where he spends his time. Someone who tells you how much his family means to him, and yet they spend all their free time away from them, proves that their words are empty. The psalmist in this Psalm 84 knows that the temple is beautiful because the beautiful God chose to dwell there. When idolatry was committed there and the Lord left the building, it was no longer a lovely place, but an empty shell. And it was fit only for destruction. And if you read the chapters in Ezekiel 8, 9, and 10, you'll see what happened when God gives Ezekiel a vision of his spirit leaving the temple in Jerusalem and how he just abandons it because of the idolatry that's going on there. So it's not the beauty of the building. It's the beauty of God that dwells there. And this, the same thing could be said of us. God dwelling in us. It's not us. It's not we who are beautiful. It's the spirit of God who dwells in us that's beautiful. We don't live a, today in a place where we first started. Scripture tells us that God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and he placed man there. The garden had trees that were pleasing to sight and good for food, and it had seedlings and green plants. But we know the story, how men turned from God and godliness or godliness and fell into sin and lostness. The issue was whether Adam would let God determine what was good and bad or would seek to decide for himself in disregard of what God said. Sin essentially is man's failure It's a failure to trust God instead of himself. And the result of unbelief and disobedience was, according to the scripture, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Scripture is clear that sin introduced dreadful consequences into man's life. And we now find ourselves in a a war against evil, and at the same time, wanting to hide from the only one who can provide victory. 
It's a ripping of the soul. Adam can't get back into the garden because God placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And later we see the cherubim were embroidered in the veil that prevented ordinary Israelites from going into the holy place of the tabernacle. And there were cherubim on each end of the mercy seat that covered the Ark of the Covenant and the temple. And these cherubim show, they guard the place of God. They show that sinners cannot have free access into God's presence. We can't save ourselves. Only God can provide the means, a savior to allow us back into his presence. Originally, Adam lived in the presence of God. And scripture teaches we were in Adam which is why we inherit the sin nature that overtook him. But we remember, even though it's a dim memory so often, the presence of God, because he's, according to scripture, he's placed eternity in our heart. We have a longing for the eternal. We know this is not all there is. We long to live in a place that we refuse to go. Talk about a contradiction. But God created us to long for a perfect world and to desire him. We want to be free from the suffering and misery of this world and from our own sin. We want to be less proud, less impatient, less sad, and less worried. We want to be more holy, more repentant, more prayerful, more at peace. In other words, we want only what God can give. In the Old Testament, God's presence with his people was manifested first in the tabernacle and later in the temple. Yet there were great restrictions. The ark of God traveled with the people as they wandered through the wilderness for years. But the ark was covered. So the great majority of people never saw the ark. They had no idea what it looked like other than what they were told because they didn't see it. The temple access was more and more restricted as you moved in toward the Holy of Holies. First, there was a court of the Gentiles, then the court of women, followed by the court of Israel. Next, there was the court of priests, then the holy place, and lastly, the most holy place, the Holy of Holies where only the high priest was allowed once a year. We know animal sacrifices do not allow us into God's unrestricted presence. Only the sacrifice of the Holy One, Jesus, can do that. Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection changed everything. The heavy curtain separating the people from the presence of God and the Holy of Holies was ripped apart. Now the way is open for God to God for all those that put their trust in Jesus. The question is, where do we live now? Do we live by faith in Jesus' perfect sacrifice for our sins? Or do we continue to put our trust in ourselves? Jesus said in John 14, 13, 
Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That's a promise. It's an absolute steadfast surety. Where he's going, he's going to go and prepare a place for us that where he is, we may be also. You want to clarify it a little more? Look in the book of Revelation in chapter 21 and you'll see. You know, while the road is narrow and the gate small that leads to life, it's also true that the number of Abraham's children is like the sand on the shore and the stars in the sky. What Revelation 7:19 calls a great multitude that no one could number. Christ prepares the place in heaven for his own. And the Holy Spirit prepares the redeemed on earth for their place in heaven. American evangelicals often embrace one of two extremes. We either give up trying to influence society altogether because we think it's beyond redemption. Or we believe the nation will be saved if we elect the right people and pass the right laws. Being obedient to the Lord and trusting in him alone shows the falsehood of both extremes. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Are our hearts troubled? They often are. Put yourself in the shoes of the 11 disciples that remained with Jesus on the evening of the Last Supper after Judas left to betray him. These men had just heard Jesus predict that Judas would turn on him and then watch the traitor depart to do his evil deed. They also heard that Jesus was going away and they would not be able to follow him, at least not right away. And furthermore, they had also heard that Peter, or he heard, they heard Jesus tell Peter that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. If we'd been in the place of the disciples, we would certainly have been greatly troubled. I would. As the truth of Jesus' prediction regarding his own passion began to be fulfilled, we'd worry about our own future without him being around. Knowing that his disciples were fearful and full of anxiety, Jesus gave them words of comfort that encourage us also today. Those words again would do not let your heart be troubled. And you don't let them be troubled because you know where you've been. I might know where you've been and you might not know where I've been, but I know where I've been. And you know where you are now. And ultimately, heaven will come down to earth at the final resurrection and we will dwell with him forever.
But where are you and I living right now? Are we living in anticipation of being with the Lord forever? Or are we living in fear? Or to ask another way, what time is it in your life and mine? Scripture says we're living in the last days. That period of time when the gospel goes forth in power to bring the nations of the kingdom of God to the world. There's a sense in which Genesis 3.15 defines what happens throughout scripture. God said to the serpent who deceived Eve, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that's been going on for a long, long time. And just in case there's any confusion as to who the serpent is, we see the clear answer in Revelation 20, verses 1 and 2. And this is what it says. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So that's who the serpent was in the Garden of Eden. So the battle is real. The outcome's always been decided. The Lord knows those who are his and the call is for faithfulness. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let it be troubled because Christians are united with Christ. Many scriptures tell us this. They tell us we're the branches and Jesus is the vine. That Jesus is the head and we are the body. Christ is the foundation and we are the living stones joined to the foundation. The phrase in Christ occurs 25 times in Paul's letters. We're united with him. In Jesus' earthly ministry, everything that he did, he did on behalf of his bride, the church. When he was baptized in the Jordan River, which was a baptism of repentance, he was not confessing his personal sin because he was a spotless lamb of God. He was sinless. Rather, as the people's representative, he was acting on their behalf. And consequently, not only in his baptism, but in his fulfillment of every jot and tittle, every little mark of scripture of the law, fulfilling it all. His perfect sufferings, his resurrection, and his ascension, everything that Jesus did was in behalf of his bride, the church. Christ's perfect law-keeping and suffering are ours through faith. They are imputed which means they're given, they're accredited to us. They're counted as ours. Christ's resurrection is representative in that as the head is raised, so the body, the church will be raised in exactly the same manner, according to the scripture.
the final outcome of being in Christ now comes across clearly if it hasn't already in the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation. And it's hard not to read the whole chapter, but just the first four verses. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first hev heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any earth, or excuse me, death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. It's not an entirely new world with no connection to the old, but it's a transfiguration of the old. It's like the way our bodies will be transfigured. We're still who we are, but the body is different. It's glorified. And the same with the new heaven and the new earth. It's transfigured. Everything is made new and made ready like a bride for her husband, Jesus, who will dwell with men, with the bride. God himself will be among men no need for a temple. He is the temple. No need for a sun. He is the light that illuminates. There's no sea anymore. Why no sea? Because to the people in Israel, the sea represented chaos. It, 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 it was an example of turmoil. The sea is gone. It's glassy. The only sea you see in that scripture is a glassy sea. Calm. God will dwell among men. No need for a temple. He's the temple. The New Jerusalem, if you read further, which we won't, is a cube. It's 15,000 miles wide 15,000 miles length and length and 15,000 miles high it would reach to where some of the closest satellites are in heaven that's how big it is and it's a cube and what it does is it replaces the holy of holies in the temple and the holy of holies in the temple was guess what a cube so the new Jerusalem replaces the temple, the place where God dwells. And now he dwells with men. No more curse, no sin, no tears, no death. God dwelling permanently with his people. And this is where we will ultimately live. Remember the hymn that I first quoted? 
Let me read the verses again. I stand before the throne, dressed in beauty, not my own. When I see thee as thou art, love thee with unsinning heart, then Lord shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand how much we owe. Open our eyes to the beauty of the Lord, to what you have paid, the price you have paid, that we might be with you forever, that we will not be fearful, but that we will understand where our dwelling place ultimately is and live accordingly. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you, Greg. Um, anyone else thinking about their dwelling place and the mercy of God? What do you think? Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Greg, so much. That was touching very much my heart. <laughs> I needed that today to hear what you just said. Thank you very much. Thank you. Great message, Greg. Thank you. Thanks, so where are you living now? Yeah. I think that was a question Greg asked. Where are uh, you? Where I am? I am in North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> and we are so glad to know that. Um, yes, I am glad to see you and hear you. Uh, very much. <laughs> Good to have you back over here. Yes. Yes. I guess what I was really asking is, um, where where are you mentally and spiritually living? In a place of fear, or a place of quiet rest, or uh, anticipation and jumbledness? And you know, we we all go through different phases and seasons of life. Um, Thank you, God, that you promised to prepare a place for us all. Any other, any other thoughts along these lines that Greg shared on? There's a um, a verse I didn't read because it gets into a whole different dimension. But if you go down to that same chapter in Revelation 21 to the verse 8, First of all, the verse before that says, he who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. Then verse eight says, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. And what's interesting to me and to some others is that you wouldn't think he would start off with the most 
maybe important word, but he doesn't start off with murderers and immoral persons. He starts off with the word cowardly. Mm -hmm. And he's got to be talking, it seems like to, to most or to many commentators, many scholars, that he's not talking about the, the, the people um, that uh, have turned away from God uh, outwardly or, or with, their, with their mouths because they've already been destroyed in the book of Revelation, so many of them. He's talking about the cowards, those that in the midst of trouble and tribulation denied him that that turned christians in to the to the beast to the false prophet the people that claimed to know jesus but didn't stand you know when when jesus was in in, in the boat with the disciples and the storm came and they said jesus don't don't you don't you care whether we die or not and he's looked at the storm and said peace be still and he looked at his disciples and said why are you afraid and that word afraid really means why are you cowardly where is your, do, do you not have faith and so there's a very real connection to scripture about being faithful steadfast because if you if you're not if you know, if you're not, what what does uh, Jeremiah say? If if you can't run with the footman, what are you going to do when the horses come? If you can't if you can't stand fast in a relative time of peace, what are you going to do when the turmoil happens? And here it says that the cowardly will not inherit the kingdom of God. So uh, it's something that. It's made me stop and, and think about. So, anyway. It's interesting, Greg, you were talking about dwelling because I just started reading a book this week written by a, a, um, one of the professors out at Dallas Theological. It's called uh, Dwell. And, and the subtitle is Life with God for the World. And it's a, and I just started reading it, but it's really good. And it's just talking about that dwelling is uh, now dwelling with God now, as well as into the future. You know that you were talking about this morning out of Revelation, um, and that that dwelling is intended for our our walk with God, but also our uh, as we walk with God, the outpouring of it is that we're we're reaching out to the world around us. It's just a really precious concept of what it means to dwell with God. So I, I was really encouraged by your message this morning because it's exactly what I've been dwelling on <laughs> this week as I started reading that book. But I just think it is such a beautiful picture of Jesus came to dwell with us. Amen. When he left and went back to be with the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. That whole concept of dwelling with God is for now and for the future. It's just um, such a precious promise. Thank you. 
Yeah, these are fighter verses for the end of the year too. So I've been sitting on them and thinking about them as well and dwelling <laughs> and dwelling on them. Yeah, they offer such hope and it's so easy to fall into fear when there's so much fear all around us. Um, but it's a continual um, realigning with, with the hope set before us. Greg, when you Bill, use Bill. Go ahead, Preston. Bill, I think the, one of the things that makes it, it difficult to answer your question is um, where I'm dwelling today might be different from where I'm dwelling on Wednesday. And um, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, Greg, I think that's probably one of the heaviest meals and largest meals that you've fed us in a long time. It's, uh, I mean, every sentence is worth meditating on just about. And uh, uh, I think the thing that I come away with is, you know, what Jesus really asks, he says, if you abide, and it's this whole concept of being steadfast and faithful in abiding and trusting uh, in him, no matter your circumstances or the circumstances in the world. And that's the challenge I think for all of us is, is to stay in that place of abiding, which means really communing with him um, day after day after day. So thank you so much. Uh, that's a lot to take in um, this morning. Well, let me tell you this. This was a difficult message for me to put together and I was going all along. I don't know if it's gonna make sense or not. And it, I'm very thankful that I am not a full-time pastor in a big church, because if I had to do this every week, I would disintegrate. <laughs> Thank you, Greg, for putting in the effort. I really appreciate, like Preston said, I think this is like a feast that mm. you just prepared for the morning that we could chew on for a long time. Um, so. And I liked what you said about the evangelical church tends to go to one or two extremes, but neither extreme is the real meaning of dwelling with God. Um, and that we've really just got to put our focus on abiding in him, regardless of circumstances. Um, I, I've been reading another book I was telling Pat about the other day that is very thought provoking. This is from a pastor in Portland, uh, Carla. And he's a young pastor, maybe about 40 years old, and he's written several books, but the most recent one is called The Radical Elimination of Hurry. The Radical Elimination of Hurry. It will rock your world. Uh, it is rocking mine. And basically the whole premise is that the, our modern culture, everything is so hurry, hurry, filled with distractions, with all of the beeps and pings and cell phones and technology that we've lost our capacity to spend time with God and really hear from him. And that that's actually the plan of the enemy because if we don't have time to dwell with God, then what's the purpose of anything? Um, and um, he's speaking very openly, honestly, as a pastor. He was a pastor of a big mega church, a big satellite church with lots of satellites. And um, anyway, he's just talking about some of the practices of solitude and silence and making sure we're keeping a Sabbath and doing things that really help us dwell with God. Um, he gave 10 symptoms of if you are caught up in hurry sickness, 
I scored eight out of 10. <laughs> so I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anyway, I would, uh, anyway, it's a, it's a good one. And if someone says, can anything good come out of Portland? Yes, something good can come out of Portland. <laughs> so. I'm reminded of something that uh, a theologian named Rod, Rod, uh, Robert Godfrey said. He, he was talking about, and I can't remember the lady's name, but she was a missionary in, in um, Africa that he met one time. And, and uh, he was just so shocked that she was so peaceful and she had more to do than a person could possibly do. But she kept saying to him, I'm not worried about it. God knows the time that he's given me and he'll accomplish what he wants to. And I'm not worried about it. And that's a great way, I guess, to look at things, isn't it? God knows how much time he's given you. He knows what he wants you to do. And he's not asking you to do more than you can possibly do. So don't get all shook up about everything. <laughs> Mother, Teresa, Mother Teresa said, if you spend an hour with God, enjoying God each day, and then make sure you don't do anything that you know is wrong, she said, you'll be fine with God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Julie, I didn't mean to cut uh, you off. I was going to tell Greg, thank you so much for this message. While you were speaking, I was thinking of John 15, where, he, mm -hmm. where Jesus says, abide in me. Mm -hmm. And you'll bear much fruit, and apart from me, you can do nothing. And I, I was thinking that when I was a teenager, reading that, thinking, what does abide mean? And just really <laughs> seeking out, and, and throughout my whole life, I mean, I still want to grasp more of what that means. And um, I, I just think about how walking with Jesus every day is abiding in him, and he'll take us into places and to people's lives that only he could equip us to be, to be a blessing or to share his love because apart from him, we can do nothing. But I, I also thought of um, how he, he says, in, he says, you will remain in my love. And I've told you this so your joy can be complete. So it just goes this whole season. It was really good, Greg. It, was a, it just wraps up the whole season of the joy mm -hmm. and the hope and the love and the peace that only comes from walking with Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Greg, I was, I was thankful that the first, one of the first phrases you used was about the mercy of God. Mm. Because that's a, that's a good way to start any teaching, <laughs> mm. um, to think about God's mercy and comprehend it. Because then you went, the, the next word that really leapt out at me was the word coward, cowardly. Mm. And, um, you know, there's there's been so much debate here recently in, in our every culture about whether or not we're to wear masks when we go outside. And and it's almost as if people think, well, if you wear a mask, you're a coward because, you know, you're invincible over this virus. Um, I mean, I don't know whether everybody's looked at and seen that sort of response that the people that wear masks are the cowards. Um, but it could be it could be flipped on its head and gone the other way too. And so there's a coward coward acting as a coward is not the same as using discernment or wisdom. But it, it sometimes it gets lumped over in that same boat. And um, you know I I just remember being so extremely shy when I was younger, 
And uh, I probably got labeled to be a coward at, at times. And, it, and it's sort of always part of the baggage that I carry around is, well, are you really, are you really a coward? Are you really brave? Or who are you? Are you adventurous? And so I've, that, that word still gets under my fingernails sometimes. <laughs> Uh, just that I might deal with it and not be a coward when I'm called upon to testify about my belief in Christ or that I live my life in such a way that I think would be pleasing to him. Um, and it, I just need to be reminded that God has mercy for the cowards, mm -hmm. but he doesn't want them to remain cowards. And Preston, that's what I was thinking when I asked, you know, where are you dwelling? Are you dwelling in a place of cowardice um, about life or about things? Or do you, you trust God has a way that God has, you trust God that he has the steps marked out for you? And um, just just another area that I, I need to grow in. But thanks thanks for the, the, the scriptures because that's where the, that's where the power the power to um, to work your way through that, mm -hmm. the presence of God be manifest, even uh, to heal me of that. I don't know, anybody else? Yeah, I we also very thankful Greg's um, shared the message. Uh, it great help for us to more understanding. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, John. <laughs> Well, I have I have a song that I'd like to play, uh, maybe to to put a bow on the the Christmas aspect of, of things. Even though we we will always rejoice in in the incarnation of Christ, that he he would take on human flesh to live as a human, to face all the trials, um, all the suffering that he faced that he could identify with us completely and that we could see that, that there's nothing that we go through that Jesus has not already faced. Um, and we know that, that we've gone through a lot in 2020. We've prayed a, a lot for different people, for situations. We prayed that God would be glorified in the midst of them. We prayed for nations. We prayed for governments. We prayed for the races. Uh, we've, we've just, We've just been praying about anything and everything that we see that God wants to heal in our land. Um, and coming up, there's another whole year uh, that God's going to give. So I want to play this song, and uh, I hope that you enjoy it. And after this, uh, Mary will go with you, unless there's any other comments. Yeah. 
Come and see what God has done. Come and see what God is doing. Come and see what God has promised to do. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Lord Jesus, we we come to you and we thank you, Lord, that the you have, you have promised that the dwelling place of God will be with with those who believe and trust in you. Lord, let us shout it from the, the mountaintops. Let us shout it from the valleys. Let, let us let people know how we can face life with a hope and a peace and a joy that is not like what the world gives. It's from you. Lord, it's found in your words and your your promise and in in meditating upon what you have said and what you how you have taught us and how you have imparted life to us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for that your dwelling place might want to be with us. Lord, it, it was in the temple. And you promised that you want to dwell in each one who would call upon your name. And now it's us that you dwell in us. Thank you, God. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Hearing that song took me back to when Katia, who was one of our international friends from uh, Cabo Verde in Africa, she sang that song at one of our Christmas banquets. Yeah. Yeah. I was remembering that too and tearing up a little. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I was also thinking, come and see what God has done. I, I went back to the first dwelling place that Jesus ever had in the natural where he was born. And um, it never has been about where we physically live or circumstances where we find ourselves. It is about dwelling in him, dwelling in him. This week, we um, have prayer meeting on Wednesday night. And that is the day before probably, I don't, I don't think Carla and Richard are going to celebrate a New Year's Adam, right? On Wednesday night, they had celebrated Christmas Adam because the next day they were going to celebrate Christmas Eve. <laughs> and uh, Carla, your family is so creative. But um, prayer meeting word Wednesday. For it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was really fun. Y'all can find out all the details about their new celebration, their new tradition that they're going to celebrate. But on New Year's Eve, we have a number of birthdays that are going to occur. Constantine is going to have a birthday. I don't think they're on with us today, but Constantine's birthday. And then Sandy Witt's husband, Sandy Witt Hastings' husband, Jack, has a birthday. And for those of y'all who remember Peggy Stoffregen, she has a birthday. And Cecil Hoff in Norway, Cecil was the very first person that allowed us to get involved in international ministry by involvement at Wake Tech. Her birthday is the 31st. And another Japanese lady that we used to have, Masiko, uh, who came and did origami for us in Sunday school years ago. And it's also my birthday. 
So we have a number of birthdays on Thursday. And Kimiko. Huh? Kimiko Sink's birthday also. Kimiko. Okay. Wow. Um, I'll I'll write that one down. Same as yours. Yeah. And then on Saturday, Christina, I think you're on. I saw your icon. I haven't seen your face. Christina, are you there? Christina Marquina. I don't I don't see her coming on, but I, I saw that. Her, but I, I think they dropped. Okay. Um, her birthday is Saturday, the 2nd of January. So I think those are, are the birthdays for the week. And um, if you were not on the call at the beginning, we started out sharing some prayer requests and did pray for Jessica Madden, Cecil's daughter-in-law, who's expecting a baby. I think you said Cecil maybe in May, um, but she works in a hospital. She works at Duke Hospital and she has COVID. So if we can remember to pray for Jessica and Gray and then Penny in regard to her dad that went to the ER this morning, but he is back home now. And her brother who will find out maybe this week about some tumors that he has on the pancreas. Uh, Yaping and Hao's supervisor's wife who um, is ill in the hospital and Hao will be spending the night uh, keeping watch over her tonight. And then Jonathan in Peru and all of his adventures. So I think those yeah, are the- I have a knee surgery on Wednesday. Appreciate prayers for that. I did not schedule that so I would be able to sit at home and watch football all weekend, but that's just by coincidence. <laughs> it's, I'm not actually, I'm not even sure. I've been, I'm not sure exactly what time. I think it's probably in the morning, but in any case, just pray for that, that that would go well. How about Tia's mom? Any change, Preston? Um, Tia took her back home um, because uh, Christmas Eve she kept saying home, home all day long. And so we decided to take, take her back yesterday. So Tia took her back yesterday and then she didn't really recognize her home. She was still saying home. So even with all the things that are familiar there. So her, her cognitive skills are just really um, degrading kind of quickly. She's very weak. I usually um, had to help her down the stairs um, every time that she came downstairs, which was less and less last week as, as the week progressed. So um, it's just a day by day thing now. It's just really difficult to tell. Um, you know, how, how much longer she's going to be with us. Is Tia going to stay there with her for a while or bring her back or? Um, she's been with, she's been staying with her mother either there or here at our house for the last 13 weeks. So it's back, it's been back and forth for, you know, 10 to 10 days to two weeks at a time. Um, so, uh, yeah, maybe, yes, maybe they'll be back here at some point, yeah. How is Tia doing, Preston? She's tired, she's emotionally tired, and um, it's just been hard. Um, you know, when uh, when Ramona hears uh, 
Trisha's voice who has not taken care of her and has spent really little time with her. Even when she was well, she'd go get her once a week and take her to the grocery store. But Ramona just perks up and, you know, says, I love you, but she doesn't respond to Tia's I love you anymore. It's hard. It's hard to watch. You know, Preston, what it what it makes me think of in view of the message that we had today, Ramona for so long has been dwelling mm -hmm. with Jesus mm -hmm. and she wants to go home. That's she what wants I, yeah, that's what I am hoping and believing it means at this point. Yes. Yeah. That's where her only security is. But we need to pray for Tia because that's a very difficult it is. It's place. Yeah. You and Tia. Yeah. Thanks for your prayers. Appreciate it. In fact, could we pray right now? I'm, I'm looking at Jill Bueller. I feel like, Jill, you've got the prayer for Preston and Tia. Yes, Lord, we just lift up. Um, Preston and Tia to you and Ramona and the whole family, Lord, they've been going through so much. And yet, um, you know their needs and you're walking with them and you are there with Tia and Ramona and Preston. And you are our comforter and our, um, our only hope, Lord Jesus. So we just pray that you would give Tia the strength that she needs and the encouragement that she needs to walk out every day and to love her mom. And Lord, you know the number of days that Ramona has, and we just pray for your hand to be upon her and your, for her to feel your love and your peace and your protection over her. And we do also just pray for Preston and Tia as they're apart from one another, Lord, that you would just sustain them and provide for their needs and Give them both peace in their hearts, Lord Jesus, so only you can do. We just thank you, Lord, for this family and the love that they exude to others. And we pray that you would just be ever present with them in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. spoke with David Casby and he wanted everybody to, um, he wanted to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Mm -hmm. And uh, he sends his love from India and uh, things are going well there. He was very excited. He got to go spend Christmas with Madhu and Bina and her family. And uh, that might be the first time they've gotten together in, since <laughs> March. But anyway, um, so he was really excited about that. Also, while uh, during the service, I got a message from Dr. Rubin, and he'll be meeting with Jonathan uh, tomorrow uh, to do the power of attorney thing. So he says that your prayers are fundamental. And so they're praying down there for, for this at, at the church, and I told him we were praying also. Thank you for the update, Carla. And thank you for everybody that contributed uh, towards the, the Peru love offering because um, Preston worked it out to get the money there to, to Jonathan. So he, he's looking forward to doing some work there in Chiclayo and um, to try to help that family that he, he shared with us about. Um, 
How yes, long will he be there? Uh, Rebecca, two weeks? Well, I think he's he's flying back January 8th, but doesn't get back to RDU until the 9th. Yeah. So like like two two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Just, just for your information, there was given over $2,200 to all those ministries at Jonathan. So uh, I'm sure he has been blessed. And I just really pray that the Lord just multiply what that can do for the people that he's going to be sharing it with. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Um, I, I think I shared this um, at prayer meeting, but um, he, he texted me and said, do we, do we have any Spanish Bibles? This was about two weeks ago. And I said, well, yeah, we, we didn't go to Peru this year. So everything that we had bought to take to Peru is up in, in our playroom. So come by and get some. So I, I gave him 20 New Testaments, but he finds himself, he, he has a job translating, right? So he's a translator and typically he'll, it's either legal situations or a lawyer or medical services. And frequently he finds himself at a hospital with a nervous Spanish speaker who the doctor is going to come in and tell them that they have cancer. And Jonathan is going to be the one to speak to them about that. Translate those words that the doctor shares. And so immediately they look to Jonathan and ask questions and he relays them to the doctor. And you can imagine the, how the cycle goes. And Jonathan is explaining the words of the doctor, and then the doctor leaves the room, and Jonathan is sitting there with the people. He also goes to chemo with them and sits with them for two hours while they're doing their chemo, just to make sure they've got someone to talk to who can translate for them. And so he told me, he says, well, it'd be really good to have a Bible. I, I could, because they, they asked me to pray with them. And I just want to be able to share the word of God with them. And then he, he talked about some hardships and some difficulties that uh, you know the, his bosses don't necessarily want him to be doing that. And some of the nurses give him a hard time. And so he's trying to be wise about how to do it. But yet he sees such great needs. The one, the one trigger that got him really revved up was somebody asked him, he says, well, would you pray for me? The other translators pray with me. And Jonathan said, Okay, then <laughs> let's do this. So he's trying to be wise about it, but um, you can just imagine it. If, if you're sitting there with a person who's going to get informed of some medical diagnosis or they're going through chemo uh, and they're in a country that doesn't speak your language and he's, he does, the opportunities that come up. So God, I think God's really touched his heart, Rebecca, uh, here recently. And now he's going to Peru and he just looks forward to see what God can do. Yeah. the part that was really encouraging i think for for jonathan that because he he was actually able to lead someone to christ and i think it was the same guy that had said oh other printers prayed with me like you pray for me and then i think it was it was that that guy that he was able to lead to christ and jonathan came home and you never guessed what happened today i got to lead someone to christ on on my job and I'm just able to encourage him and, you know, I'm, I'm that's, that's, that, that's wonderful. And I'm so glad that God has you in this place of um, just talking to people and being with them 
but also doing what we're called to do as believers and thank God that there was one more sheep added to the, the flock. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You got one in the other. What? <laughs> He's talking about your baby. There's yeah. one in the oven. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, there's still one in the oven. Yes. Yeah, don't forget to pray for that, that sheep too. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's good to see all of you. Um, and thank you for giving to that to that mission support. Um, anyone else have anything they want to share before we unfortunately have to end the call? I wish I could have you all over. I wish I could have a conversation with each of you. That's the hardest part. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to add, we had a call last night from Josh and Hope asking us to pray for their family. There's some uh, things occurring that may affect um, the custody, uh, custody uh, of the kids next year. And we're very encouraged that they're of the same heart and mind and, and seeking the Lord in it and just asking for wisdom and what they're to do and that there would be peace in the situation. Mm. So if the Lord puts them on your heart, we ask this to Pray for wisdom and for peace. Thank you. Yeah, we, we want to pray for that now too, Randy. So hang on. Thank you. Yeah. Anybody else? Why don't, why don't you pray for Josh and Hope and then close our call with your prayer, Mary? Oh, me? Yep. <clears throat> Lord, how lovely are your dwelling places. How lovely is your dwelling place. Lord, so many times with all of these things coming at us like waves in the ocean and that kind of chaos and tumultuous um, bobbing up and down in the waves. Lord, I'm so grateful that we don't have to live in that place. And I'm grateful that Josh and Hope and their family does not have to stay in that place. Lord, I pray for the glassy sea. Pray for peace for them. I do continue to ask you for wisdom, like Randy and Lisa have have said they've requested, Lord, that, that you would bring about your wisdom and your peace in, in the Durham household. Lord, you have brought both Hope and Josh from far countries to a new dwelling place. And I pray that every detail that needs to take place, everything that needs to be considered and every legal aspect of this would be guided and directed by you, Lord, that your hand would be upon this young family. And I thank you, Father, for all of the other prayer needs, ones that we've prayed for before, and also pray for Richard and this surgery that's coming up. Lord, strengthen his feeble knee. Make it even better than new. And um, 
Jesus, in, in 2021, I pray that every one of us would solidly dwell in you, in your presence, that you would continue to, to feed us. And Lord, I'm, I'm just reminded too, again, of, of Tia and Ramona and Preston. Lord, be their living water, be their light, and be their bread that they can feast on you, Lord. And as Greg has given out today to us, I pray that you'll fill him up again. Lord, our greatest offering that we can give to you is ourselves. And that's exactly, I would, I would like to present our church and us to you. Lord Jesus, Emmanuel, be with us the remainder of this year and into and through 2021. We bless you and praise you and pray in your majestic name, Jesus. Amen. If everyone would um, unmute and turn your, your camera on, we have one more thing we need to do. We need a few more of you to unmute and turn your cameras on. Everybody look to wherever Mary is on your screen. <laughs> The birthday girl. Happy birthday to, to you. you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Happy birthday to you. Oh, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Happy birthday, Mary. Thank you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And many more. Yeah. And happy new year, everybody. Happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year. Cheers. Bye, Eva. Bye. God bless you. Hey, Claire. I love you all. Bye. Bye bye. Hey, Simon. That's great. Hi, Rebecca. Bye. <laughs> Come see us. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you.